This podcast provides a platform for our guests to express their own personal views and opinions. Some or all of these views and opinions may not be shared by Ben and or Yoel. Welcome to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. The podcast where we highlight stories of dads on the other side of divorce. To inspire and give strength to dads going through it. I'm Ben. And I'm Yoel. Welcome to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. You can find us on twodadtoquit.com, Two Dad to Quit on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, every platform that you can possibly f- figure out to find us on. We want to share your story. We want to hear your story. We think that your story can help others. And please reach out to us. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, rate the podcast. It's very important to get the word out to as many people as possible. This week, we sat with Sam Grass. Sam is a friend of mine from high school and he has we basically talked about his life Um, i knew him for a couple of years in high school and apparently after that he turned into a crazy life story uh we he basically fell in love with music somehow worked his way into the music industry for over 10 years then he uh started lifeguarding and then he became the manager of uh, multiple pools and then to top it all off and somehow he is now working with tops trading cards and is a actual real life garbage bill kid. Yes. I think for me, the, I mean, there are so many takeaways uh, from his story. Uh, but for me, really what stands out is just a guy who lives his life with enthusiasm and passion and, he actually acts on them and he excels in them. And not only that, you know, also relevant for our audience is that he very much involves his daughter in his hobbies as much as he can. A lot of what he does with his costume or cosplay uh, work, uh, workers, cosplay uh, 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 involvement was based on giving something, you know, being able to share in something with his daughter. And I think that's just so admirable, combining his passions with also being a dad to his child, I think that's something that really stands out and really makes him special. And I'm grateful that we uh, that we had him on the on the podcast. And I I'm, I am sure that our audience will be equally inspired. This week we are sitting with Sam Grass. Sam Grass lives in Washington D.C. Sam has been divorced for over ten years and has one daughter. Sam's hobbies include CrossFit, one wheeling around the Capitol with his daughter. He's an avid toy collector an all-around comic nerd. He enjoys cosplay, comic cons, uh, and collaborating with Garbage Pail Kids in full costume as a real-life atom bomb. So welcome, Sam, uh, or as I used to call you, Sammy. I don't know when you graduated to Sam, Uh, but I know know Sam from high school, and uh, so interesting because I remember you as like the coolest guy ever, like into like heavy metal or like the coolest music you wore like awesome cool clothes and uh before this you're like and put i'm a super nerd i was like what who is this sam so were you am i wrong were you like a closet nerd the whole time i've all i've always been a nerd um the cool factor i'm really not sure where that came from i was always into snowboarding and um rollerblading at the time but in reality i've always felt awkward i've always been drawn to the comic book world star wars uh batman comics 
and anything having to do with being cool really wasn't my world. Um, one of the things that broke me through was the music itself, was that I was into punk and I was into rock and liking that music helped me break out of my shell. And because it was my job eventually to work in the music industry and be the spokesperson for uh, the record label and interact with the musicians, when you tell me I have a job and this is the job, that's where I excel. But when it's just me personally, I'm shy and don't really want to interact. That's that's really, that's really that's really interesting. Sorry to cut you off, Ben. First of all, Ben, I was just going to do some kibitzing with you that you know a lot of times nerdy people look at other people as cool, but because they themselves are nerds and they don't realize it. So that may be why you looked at Sam as being cool. Maybe you're just such a nerd that well, Sam I was, was actually going to say that that uh, <laughs> in the world we lived in, there weren't that many cool people. So I was always looking out for people that were also cool. Um, <laughs> So that's why I, you know, Sam, he wasn't, I was in Baltimore. He was in like DC area. So it wasn't around the corner, but like right. you would come to town and I felt like we hit it off. Um, and I just gravitated to people that, I don't know, I guess in my theory was hang out with the people that were cool and then you elevate your coolness. So you were on that list, Sam. So. Wait, so, so oh, one second and, and, and Sam, we're here for you, but I'm just curious because of your question, Ben. So were you, were you also kind of like shy and whatnot? Because you strike me as the type of guy who was always like very popular in school. And like you hung out with Sam and and did you notice like Sam? It's interesting to me, Sam, this is what I was going to say. It kind of ties, ties it together. I don't know much about you. So we're going to learn about you in the podcast. But it already sounds very cool to me that you were, you know, involved in the in the music industry and you're working with artists. But a lot of people that are famous or or that are in, you know, uh, entertainment uh, types of industries, they themselves aren't always as outgoing as they may seem. So a lot of comedians, for example, you know, they may look, you know, to be the most funny uh, types of guys in the world. And maybe they are as performers, but in their personal lives, a lot of them are actually very introverted. So I'm just curious, Ben, based on your opening question and how Sam has described himself, you know, away from his job, um, you know, were you kind of like that as well? Or uh, you guys were kind of- Right, uh... so for for me, like, I wouldn't call myself cool. It was just all the people gravitated to me and thought I was cool. Like huh. I didn't smoke. I didn't drink. I didn't do drugs, but I was, I was going to sound weird. I was, the girls would come to me. That but, hasn't changed. And, and all, yeah, right. Uh, and all those, you know, it was just like the cool kids. It was, I just, I could ebb and flow with them. And they accepted me like I had the, you know, the cool leather jacket and everybody thought I smoked, but I didn't. But I could hang with those people and they didn't judge me for it either way. And they always knew like I was a straight laced guy. But mm. I don't know, maybe Sam remembers me totally different or doesn't remember me at all. And it's all in my head. All right. Yeah, I think that's one thing that having children and trying to express how we were to how they're feeling. My daughter's 13 years old and I mean, God bless her. I love her to death and the stuff that she's going through. I'm just like, we've been there, we've done that, but we're the parents. We're not cool anymore. We know nothing. <laughs> um, but of course she still wants to raid my t-shirt collection and yeah. <laughs> she listens to all the same music that I still listen to. So I think that at that age, we're all insecure and just spend the time to be able to just get to know people 
on a personal level is what's important. And that's, those are the people that we're still friends with to this day. Hmm. Everything else is kind of in the background. Doesn't matter really what you're listening to, if you're drinking or smoking or, you know, what your hobbies are. I mean, of course that draws you together, but at the end of the day, people that are good tend to find each other and develop and, friendships. And, yeah. And all the people that aren't, aren't good or aren't nice to you, like it may seem like the world is crumbling at that moment when whatever they do uh, is, but you know, at the end of the day, it's all those relationships that you make and, uh, and you stay true to yourself and just, you know, I, I consider myself a friend collector. Um, a lot of people, you know, make friends and then you drop them and never talk to them again. And, you know, to me, uh, I just, I just like collecting them. This sounds funny, but you know, to me, there's, there's not much you can do to drop off my list of people I wouldn't call if I needed something. And I, I hope everyone else feels the same about me. You know, that's kind of my, my, uh, my outlook on friends and life and people. Hmm. So I, now that you mentioned the, the music industry, I do remember it and I totally left it off uh, the intro. Can hmm. we dive back into how you went from, you know, a nerdy cool kid in high school to working in the music industry, what you did there? Yeah. I mean, so, you know, we grew up in the 90s and between everything happening in Seattle and grunge and punk and pop mm. punk, and um, it was hard not to be part of it. In the community that Ben and I grew up in, you were either very trendy, very much into the, I don't even know the names of the stores, whether it's the Gap and Express yeah. and Banana Republic, and all, yeah, all that. Those type of places, or you weren't it was one or the other and i always found myself on the other side of it and the music you listen to and you start going to concerts um you go to the bands that are being played on the radio um i remember you know one of the first concerts i was invited to was by a senior um in high school i think i was in 10th grade at the time and it was offspring with nice. rancid nice. opening for them so wow. and they were playing at a small club in baltimore uh hammerjacks place doesn't exist anymore but that was my first club concert i'd been to other shows before that but going to that show just really put me on a very different path than i was on the shabbos before <laughs> nice because mm -hmm. i was in baltimore and uh i had to stay at my cousin's uh, in order to go to the show on a Saturday night. And being able to walk into this venue, into something that I had never experienced before, but felt instantly at home, put me on a trajectory that I knew I needed to be in the music industry. And that was in 10th grade, continued going to concerts. There were nights where I wouldn't miss shows. Um, and I would see shows at the 930 Club here in Washington, D.C. or the Black Cat. And after going to so many shows, you start recognizing people and you know the bouncers and you know uh, some of the people that are cleaning up the venue and just developing relationships. And from there, develop those relationships. And when I moved to New York, I continued those type of relationships at Irving Plaza and nice. other venues in New York. 
And it solely was just meeting the right people that were good people and keeping that energy alive. You go to the shows, you meet the people that work at the shows, you meet the other fans that are going to the shows, and then eventually you meet people that work in the industry. So I knew that's what I wanted to do with my life, at least for a while. And, and that was there, all pre-cell phone, right? That was all pre-cell phone, yeah. That was all, that was days of Friendster. Yeah. How old were you? How old were you when you moved to New York? Just to have a like where whereabouts where were you in did you go to college or like where where yeah. were you at I was, yeah. I was in college, started in ninety-eight college. Mm. Yep. And so for me, that was your emo, that was your pop punk, that was MTV days, that was Ben would uh, appreciate it, where it was one of the bands in high school was the Bloodhound Gang. These guys were as dirty as could be. The lyrics, non-PC, they would never be able to release another album these days. I mean, mm. every line, every innuendo just does yeah. not fly these days. But as high school seniors, we all love them. And I developed a friendship with um, the manager and eventually got my first internship through the Bloodhound Gang. Wow. Nice. And that was in the industry? Yeah. What What were you doing? Um, so I guess the first question was, when was this? This was, uh, so in college was 98 to 2002. I was doing uh, pretty much a little bit of everything because I'm not musically gifted. And, <laughs> but I am into marketing and sales. So that's really where I focused a lot of my energy on with interaction with the fans and with the bands themselves. Uh, worked with the managers in the touring aspect for a little bit and then eventually found my way over to the Capitol Records street team and worked in office there. And we did several different tours, whether we were with and one specific artist or we were doing um, competitor tours where we would be out following, let's say, a Green Day concert um, and distributing our artists to people attending the show. Hopefully, hey, you like Green Day, so right. maybe you'll like Stereogram kind of uh, marketing. Mm -hmm. And that was great, especially in my early 20s, being able to travel cross country. Uh, the first band that I went cross country with was Radiohead. Um, nice. at the time it didn't mean anything, but, um, <laughs> now it's a huge, um, milestone. And you, yeah, and you went on the bus with them or you were uh, uh, like in no, the bus crew? Got, or? No, we had our own wrapped van. Now okay. everybody has wrapped vans, but yeah. at the time it was a big deal to have a commercial van. It was wrapped in the artwork, which was controversial we kept getting pulled over by the police half the time mm. they wanted to know what we were yeah and mm. try and bust us for something the other half they just wanted free promo yeah my brother <laughs> actually drove the uh prize van for power 95 yep back in the day so he would come home on the weekends and he just would like here take a shirt take this take that and, like my whole room Swag. was full of promo stuff. Mm. wow so who else did you tour with uh, do you get tight with any celebrities or band members or 
you know, it was. You were like at a distance. With Radiohead, I was definitely at a distance. Only got to meet them once. Um, bands like Yellow Card, they were one of the biggest reasons I decided to go to Capital. I had a couple different options. Went to Capital because Yellow Card was a band. They're our age. They're from Jacksonville, Florida. I had seen them play a show maybe a hundred people and that show is legendary because the uh it the venue flooded and they still played and so wow. ryan the lead singer as he's playing he's getting uh, electrocuted um, oh my gosh by the mic so he ends up like wow. taking off his shoe then his sock and he puts the sock over the mic nobody wow. really understands what's going on as to why the place is flooding um but it's definitely a story of legends where it turned wow. out that yeah, it was the toilets. So hopefully everybody got their tetanus shots after that one. But <laughs> it was definitely a fun, memorable experience. And they're back out finally for a 20th anniversary. That's awesome. So you, how long did you work in the, the industry? Um, 10, 11 years. Wow. Made it through a couple rounds of layoffs, but eventually it got to the point where seeing the writing on the wall there really wasn't a place for most of us um right. i was working for pmi and it had been sold um then made it through two or two i think two if not three rounds of layoffs and it just we had nobody to promote um right. and, and the so industry was changing also you know from from yeah. you know you can only get it on a cd or a you know, and moving over to digital and the whole industry trying to figure out how they make money with concerts, without concerts, and that whole dynamic yeah, was also around the same time. Had, right? As a sales rep, Virgin Megastore had closed, Best Buy had minimized their CDs, Circuit City had closed, um, Tower Records had closed. So all of these accounts that were making money from no longer have a physical store therefore we have nothing to sell and yeah we're trying to figure out how to make this work and everybody in the higher ups um are doing the same so yeah. it was easy enough to say it's time and um right. do i miss it of course i miss it but at the time you know being married and having or being engaged and thinking about family, I knew that that wasn't the place to be. And you were in New York the whole time? Yeah. Wow. And okay, so what did you do after that whole dream kind of diminished? Um, I worked for a nonprofit. Um, it wasn't my favorite place to be, but at the end of the day, um, it was marketing towards teenagers and it was fun for what it was, but it was a lot of work and it wasn't anything more than just to pay the bills. Right. Right. So when did you move back down? Did you move anywhere else? You went from New York straight back to DC. I went from New York to DC to Maryland. And the reason I moved down here was um, my ex-wife and I, in our divorce uh, settlement contract agreement, um, said that neither one of us are going to leave the New York, uh, Brooklyn, Queens area without written permission. And I never planned to leave. I figured, okay, uh -huh. 
this is you're stuck this is where i am and i'll make the best of it well turned out that her husband had received an offer to move down here um and she knew i would jump at that opportunity even though it meant starting new to be close to my family yeah made sense and so you had three grown adults she Mm -hmm. my ex-wife was already remarried at that time and all three of us moved down here and we coordinated together to make the move as easy as possible that's awesome and and your daughter was how old during it for the move it's a good question. I don't remember. Probably uh, four or five. Okay. All right. So she did okay. It wasn't yeah. too, too dramatic. No. In fact, what I really remember with the move was this weight that she carried on her shoulders. I could see it just disappear. Because you have to imagine that being in New York, she was riding the subway with us everywhere. I had her in a book bag. I never used the stroller. Um, and as much fun as she enjoyed being in it, being free of the subway and being free of the New York life was yeah. a big deal. Fresh air and grass goes a long way. Yeah, especially for the allergies. <laughs> totally. Okay. And, and you have, you have uh, is it joint custody? What's the custody arrangement with your daughter? Yeah, um, so my ex and I, we... best way to explain it is that we said whatever is going on with us that's fine we can say it to each other you know scream holler curse whatever is on your mind however you're feeling say it to each other but keep it offline and I think that that to me is always the advice that I give to anybody that asks and wants to know Um, and within our settlement we had agreed that neither one of us has a whole lot of money and any money that we're spending fighting over custody or agreements is money away from our kid. And we had agreed on 50, 50, um, but the judge wouldn't go for it. So yeah, they, we went back two times. The only way they would agree on it is if somebody had 51 versus 49 um, ultimately, Sarah, my ex, does have 51% custody, um, but the truth is, it's never been an issue. Um, the two of us get along. I mean, we weren't good as a couple, but as co-parents, we both know what our job is. That was in where? That was in New York or Maryland? The judges uh, in New York. Wow. What does 51 even mean? What does a 51% mean? Basically, what 51% means is if there is a question, if there is a fight, Mm. the judge is going to side with her if it gets to that point. Mm. Wow. That's uh, interesting. He's the majority shareholder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) No, it's the the first time we've heard of it uh, here. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And we we had somebody on that uh, is actually – He's uh, lobbying and he's been able to get some states or one state already and other states are following him to make 50-50 the default. And yes, going through, I was just thinking that, Ben. <laughs> yeah, and going through the government to, to mandate it uh, per state. Yeah, what, they do not, what they did not want is for us to 
be coming back every month with issues. They want to be able to say, this is where the line is drawn. But right. we've never had to visit it again. Hmm. How, how, how far away are you from each other? Like, just curious for your daughter, like how far, how, how far yeah. it is for her to go back and forth. So or close. Yeah. Yeah. No, a lot has changed during COVID. Unfortunately, <laughs> um, my ex and her husband had to move. They moved to New Jersey. You got to pay your yeah. bills. Um, my daughter is 13 years old and she's got a seven year old brother. Um, when we all lived in Maryland, we lived uh five miles apart mm. and we attended the same crossfit gym and so instead oh, uh. of doing handoff i i will tell you i'll be the first to admit i thought it was ridiculous i was like this is the stupidest thing why would i ever do this and i said that there i'm like why would i do this like but i told her that when my what i said was when my trainer leaves, I'll consider it. Well, sure enough, three months later, my trainer leaves. And I'm like, well, I told you I would. And I went for the week or the month or whatever the initial session yeah. was. And I got hooked. And the nice thing about it was it gave my ex, her husband, and myself something more to talk about than just our kids um wow. that gets old real fast and so it gave us something that we could do together whether it was just working out side by side or seeing each other as one leaves the other one's coming um it was a nice place to hand the child hand the child uh hand the kid off uh, hand my daughter off and the truth is like her brother i treat him like my own and wow. so there would be plenty of nights where especially like friday nights to give uh, Sarah a night off I would take Robert like wow. no worries on my end like my kid and I are going to watch the movies he can watch with us that's not a big deal um, wow. so it nice. worked out nice. in very well for that reason wow. you were doing CrossFit before? no I was just working with the trainer before oh, okay so then you started CrossFit got it yeah got it I I'm just curious uh because some of our audience may may also be curious about this and I, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole but I am curious was it always that way like it sounds great and wonderful in terms of the you know the relationship you have and you're even taking your you know her her son um, was it always uh, that way like it was pretty amicable from the start and again I don't need you to go into details but I'm curious if it's something that you've come to over time it's definitely gotten easier over time um there definitely was a lot of hurt and emotion at the beginning but if you have it in for me it was this is always for my daughter and how i treat her mom is what's gonna make a difference for my daughter and so therefore if i were to always be angry with sarah for decisions that were made what good does that do my daughter good does that do my ex-wife and what good does that do me in the end of the day is that I wasn't happy in the marriage um even though I thought maybe we could fix things at the beginning 10 years later I wouldn't change a thing I think that getting divorced as quick as we had done after 
getting married after having a child. Then basically a year and a half after my daughter was born, that was it. Um, what that allowed me to do was get past it, be the best father I can be, learn more about myself, and now be in a relationship that I'm proud to be in and excited for, and still a good father and good co-parent. Hmm. How, how long have you been in a relationship? So you're in, you're, you mean like a new relationship, a romantic relationship, you mean? Like, yeah. yeah. How long have you been in a, a relationship for? Um, that's a good question. Uh, two and a half years. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it's been a, you know, a fa fairly, you know, yeah. it's been a while. I did yeah. not, yeah, I didn't date for a long time, not because I didn't want to, but it wasn't part of my priorities. It was my priority was taking care of my daughter, finding a job that I was happy at and could truly pay the bills, um, and would have a future. Um, during that time of getting divorced, I was not there. I was at a very low point in every aspect because I was out of job. I was miserable. I was working very hard, very long hours, and I was just getting by. Mm. Yeah, and I'm sure moving back and having your family around for support must have been huge as well. Yeah, I mean, just living in the Silver Spring area, uh, where I grew up in high school um, makes a difference. Even though I don't see too many people from high school, just driving on the same streets and having those memories pop up means a lot. My parents, my brother, sister, and um, extended family, as well as friends, live in Baltimore. So they're about 45 mm -hmm. minutes away from me. And it means I can go there on weekends, which is really great. Or my daughter where we can go um, spend the weekend with them without it being a true trip. So over the Passover holiday, my daughter was here. She got to spend time with her younger cousins, my brother's kids, and then her cousins, um, all my, my sister's kids. And that in itself is a lot because living in Brooklyn, we didn't have that opportunity. Right. Yeah, that, that support system is huge. For sure. Okay. So you went, uh, so then you started CrossFit. You were working as what during that time? During CrossFit, I was, uh, so after working for the nonprofit, I had taken a little time off just trying to find a job. And the easiest thing I had done was I went back to lifeguarding. That was something that I had oh, wow. always been good at. I've been on the swim team my entire life and wow. I had taught swimming and um, was a lifeguard all throughout college helped put some money away and to savings and everything throughout college and so mm -hmm. having been laid off from that nonprofit job I needed something and even though I wasn't making a whole lot lifeguarding at least it got me out and it got me to be social Versus yeah. sitting around my, you know, yeah. studio apartment. Four walls. Yeah. Yeah. And being out in the sun and having a job, having responsibilities, um, teaching swimming again, being out in the sun made a difference. And I quickly moved up the ranks 
for the company I was working for. I went from a part-time lifeguard to full-time to managing the pool to then managing four pools, being able to do all the chemicals for them. And when the opportunity came to move to Maryland, thankfully the company had a division down here in DC, um, but not managing pools, doing concierge. And the boss was, he knew me and I had done a lot of uh, programs from just in terms of how to organize staff members and get them organized where one of the issues they were running into was they had multiple lifeguards working at multiple pools and all of a sudden they're in trouble because they're paying overtime that nobody was anticipating it. Mm -hmm. And the reason was because the managers weren't talking to each other and part-time employees would pick up as many hours as they could think Mm -hmm. they were being sneaky about it. Ultimately, the boss needed a way to figure out how to get everybody on the same page. And it was easy enough. I didn't do anything more than introduce an app that made sense that worked for me and my staff. Mm -hmm. And having those just inside knowledge and having that connection with the boss allowed me to move down here and the joke was I went from my swimsuit to a three-piece suit and (laughs) I was managing a couple properties down here from there I got recruited and found my way to where I'm currently at and I love it it's a place where it's a family-owned business and they take very good care of me that's amazing um, I want to get into your extracurricular activities, um, but before I do, where do you think this like work ethic came from? Because mm. you you clearly have like a I'm just gonna figure it out. I'm gonna work. I'll work at whatever job I need to. I'm gonna survive. You know where most people would just be like, forget it. I, I'm done. I'm just gonna curl up in a ball and and that's it. And thrive. You get promoted. You know, you 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 rise the ranks pretty quickly. It sounds like, which is amazing. I think part of it is that I don't plan. Is that I <laughs> have terrible planning skills, and so therefore don't uh, don't think too much. Yeah, I like about, that. Yeah, it's all about being in the moment and being able to just be a people person. Um, moving from the music industry to nonprofit to lifeguarding and concierge to where I am now the question is how did I get from one to the next and the answer is well if I can manage rock stars why can't I manage um lifeguards all the times <laughs> why can't I manage people and it's that's what it's about is the communication being able to communicate and be trustworthy and be there when people need you Nice. Okay. So the extracurricular stuff. Yeah. Um, I don't even know where to start. Um, let, let's start with one wheeling because not okay. many people are going to know what that means. Um, but I'm obsessed. And uh, I think that's how we're even reconnected. Um, yeah. So, so, you know, anybody who's, who's skateboarded, snowboarded, likes any sort of wheel things. Like I also grew up rollerblading. So did Joel. Um, so, I'm obsessed with anything with wheels and the one wheel for commuting 
like everybody's buying electric scooters and and like hoverboards and all these other weird contraptions and the only one that made sense to me was a one wheel which is basically a giant go-kart wheel in the middle and then it has two uh i don't know landings on foot i guess foot foot rests on each side um and so and then you're going you're riding it like a skateboard so to speak or a surfboard so you're standing you know goofy or regular so and then you just you know that's how you go it's intelligent it's auto balancing uh, more or less but also it doesn't get stopped by the weather um, which was my big key so you can do it in the rain a lot of these you know i was looking into you know electric skateboards but when you take that thing out in the rain and you take a bad turn that's the end um and then you've got your electric scooters, which you don't, your hands are taken up the whole time, which to me made no sense. Um, and I came upon the one wheel and I became obsessed. Um, it's still on my, I guess, to-do list. Um, but how did, how did you get started with one wheels? Uh, what's that experience for you? Would you recommend it to, I don't know, mid to upper, mid thirties to upper 40 year olds, or is it a death trap, you know? So tell us that story because you also organize rides like you're really you're you're in the community. Yeah. So I love the one wheel. It's kind of the first real gift I bought myself. Um, that was one of those questions of like, should I be spending this kind of money on a toy? I justified buying it. It was at the time I had bought the first model, uh, which was a thousand dollars. And I did not sleep the night before. I'm like, oh my gosh, my ex is going to be upset at me for spending this kind of money. And at the same time, like it wasn't her place to tell me where I spend my money, but at the same time, like, is that how I should be spending it? I never heard a thing from her, but internally yeah. I heard her voice that night. Um, and it was the best money I had ever spent on a toy. Mm. And I got into it because where I work, um, I have this hill. And I would see this guy plow down this hill. I would see him, you know, once, twice, three times a week, just plowing down. And every time I'd see him, I was just like, I wouldn't blink. I was just, I'd try and run out, try and catch him, just try and have that conversation. He never did. Um, but I'd always see him. And he just looked like he was going a million miles an hour. But one of my coaches at CrossFit got bored. And I said, go up. Can I try it out? I'm like, I know everybody's asking, but he allowed me to try it out. I was hooked. And mm -hmm. maybe a week later, I bought it. And it turned out that the guy who I would see upstairs uh, plowing down trained with my CrossFit instructor. And that's why he had the <laughs> That's why he got one. <laughs> that was nice. so funny. That's hilarious. Yeah. And, um, that's how I got into it. I went from my thousand dollar one that would go five to seven miles. That wasn't far enough. And so I upgraded. But what I was finding out was that <clears throat> they were on back order, but people were buying them. And who was buying them? We were buying them, the 35 to 45 year olds, because we had money when the younger generation, right. they don't have that kind of um, money. The problem is, is that we still think we're 20 and <laughs> these guys would get on the board, not understand the body mechanics properly, 
think that they can just do it like we did when we were 20. Yeah. And no too many people would break bones yeah. in their first week. And the reason is because it's really easy to get up and balance and ride the board. Where it becomes tricky is what happens when you hit a bad curve or when you try and take it at a speed that it's not meant to go. People are pushing with their shoulders uh, versus their hips, and then they tumble forward, break a collarbone, break an arm, and they want nothing more than to get rid of the board. Mm -hmm. so I bought three boards used with less than 20 miles on them. Yeah. And what it ended up happening was buying used boards helped me. I would keep the accessories because nobody needs accessories, anything that they bought aftermarket um, to customize my own board, but then refurbish it if it needed refurbish or bring it back just to as close to new in box, make sure everything's mm -hmm. working properly. And sell it at a profit. And it wasn't like I was making a lot of money, but a couple yeah. hundred bucks. Mm -hmm. um, the difference, I ended up having a, a the bigger model for myself, then having another model for my daughter who absolutely wanted to ride with me. And I'm like, oh my God, her mom's going to kill me. <laughs> but uh, yeah. good. Um, thankfully, she did really well. And sold a couple. Nice. Yeah, I actually the the day I think the day I came back from from divorce court, uh, one of the guys in town who I already borrowed his one wheel just to try it. He was he stopped by. He's like, hey, come outside. And he opened up his trunk and he gave me a one wheel. And it was during Corona. And I, my friend who I was living by had a huge balcony. So I basically I just was for hours just going in circles and circles and circles. So it's still on my to do list. Um, I'll get there, but you know, the aftermarket here is a lot smaller than the aftermarket there. Um, yeah. but, uh, yeah, so, uh, so thank you for, uh, entertaining me almost be sending me one, uh, before you change your mind. We were, we were almost there. Um, <laughs> yep. but, uh, yeah. Awesome. So the next crazy thing you're into, which I, I don't even know. So <laughs> I, I get, you go to comic cons, you go to, you go to, um, I guess, gaming cards and all those card conferences as well. Um, and you're a huge Garbage Pail Kid collector. But somehow, the Garbage Pail Kid people, I guess, from you're figuring out relationships, they reached out to you and asked you to do what? Okay, so I am the official Atom Bomb mascot, which is, um, let's see if uh, this... Uh, put it put it over your face. Oh, I got the blur. So yeah. almost there, there we go. go. Yep, there you go. So Adam Bomb. Yeah, I got the blur on the background. So maybe you can uh, add. I will. I will add it in post. Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. So one of the hobbies that I got into, especially kind of post divorce, um, was cosplay. And because I was always going to comic book conventions anyway, and my daughter was getting, she was, you know, one and a half, two years old. I had taken her to her first comic book convention, uh, just on the stroller, nothing really, um, I don't know if I even had her on a t-shirt, you know, a Batman t-shirt or whatever. But as I was showing her pictures and videos and recaps from conventions, um, and her first words were really like, Siona Robin, 
Daddy Batman, Sion Robin, <laughs> Daddy Batman. And in my own head, I'm like, if I am not in Batman for the next convention, she's going to be upset. I'm going to disappoint my kid if mm. I'm not Batman. And that was kind of how I got into cosplay. Um, basically, it's just the mixture of the word costume and play. There's nothing nefarious, nothing abnormal about it. Um, costume and play. And you can take that however minimal or to the extreme that you want. And people can go to any sort of convention, whether it's in a you know, party city or Target bought costume, or that they made every single aspect of it from scratch. 3D printing, Iron Man. Yeah. Yep. And that's really how I got into it, where, where I had made, um, let's see, Ona Robin, Tiz Robin, a Batman costume for myself, and a Nightwing, which is uh, Robin's adult form costume for anybody that is not aware. And he's also in the new Titans show um, in the Nightwing costume. So I had made those three costumes and that's kind of where it started. I've always been artistic and creative, um, always customizing anything I have or do. Um, so like back in the music industry, one of my main focuses were the art displays and window displays um, at all the different stores, whether it's Virgin Megastore in Times Square. Well, it's my job to make sure those windows represent our artists. So it was all within my wheelhouse of um, creative. And so went from Batman and Robin and then made a Transformer costume. And within the Transformer, um, the goal was to, how do I make this costume work for a single dad and his kid at mm. New York Comic Con, which is insane it's crazy um yeah. it's it's tough when you're by yourself even with a handler it's difficult but with that uh transformer soundwave costume the goal was to have a costume that worked as a pair and so soundwave is a tape recorder and he has his little minions um which are the tapes so i had made tiz a rumble or a female rumble so she had a pink costume and at that age you know i think she was probably probably around four at that point um she was able to have her own creative say and we went through some of the colors and i always did any projects with her and living in a very small apartment in brooklyn at the time I'd put her to bed and then I'd work on the costume and I would stay up all night working on that costume to the point where I was like, Oh man, she's going to wake up in 30 minutes. If I don't get some sleep, I'm going to be in trouble. Yeah. Um, but making that costume at the time, it was really pre 3d printing costumes. It was pre Facebook and being able to get blueprints offline. Um, everything was just, a true learning curve. There weren't wow. the big spokespeople out there uh, selling their brands and their concepts and the tutorial videos were minimal. So anything you were doing, you were kind of learning on your own. So I was 
in the cosplay costume contest. It wasn't something that I truly, I'm not sure how I got wrangled into it. I think that after all the work, a couple of friends were like, yeah, you should be doing this. Um, participated and won for something, a most technical costume. And nice. it was, I was a deer in headlights, but it was fun. And yeah. of course it was the year before they started doing big money. But still be it. <laughs> Time and, is everything. Um, <laughs> but I did get a phone call a week or so later from AOL at the time asking wow. if I would come and be in their costume contest for Halloween. Wow. So I said, yeah, of course. And that was kind of the start of the cosplay and having the moniker of Cosplay Dad was because I did it for her. Um, as much fun as it was to build the costumes, it was about doing something creative with my daughter. Mm. Um, and we've done costumes. Um, you know, a lot of it's memories trying to dig back up. But yeah. between Batman and Robin, we also had done a um, Batgirl and Red Hood. So Red Hood is another adult Robin. So um, one of my favorite characters. And at the time, the Batgirl costume, it was a brand new costume. It was a leather kind of motorcycle-esque uh, feel to it, where yeah. it had a purple or blue leather jacket with a yellow bat logo. Very cute, very easy to wear. And it was brand new. So, of course, I had to make that for my daughter. That's an easy one because it's an easy one to wear. And <laughs> we got to meet the artist. Uh, her name's Babs wow. Carr. Um, wow. She was amazed. She was blown away. Uh, my kid rocked it. Um, and to be able to have those just small experiences um, in such a big environment means yeah. a lot. Nice. So, okay. So how did you get from Batman and Robin to Garbage Pail Kids to officially so, traveling with the team? So from there, uh, during the 30th anniversary for the Garbage Pail Kids, um, one thing that a lot of the adults that, especially if you're not intertwined within the Garbage Pail Kid community or uh, the nerd culture in general, um, don't realize that Garbage Pail Kids, even though they existed from 1985 to 1988, um, they'd never really stopped. They took a couple of years off and came back um, with an all new series and brand new series in the late, like 1999 um, to the 2000s. And then had continued so they didn't have that same kind of take on the world um pop culture reference that they had when we were kids but they were still in business so at the 30 year anniversary um some of the artists that are our age essentially they grew up with garbage Hell kids and are now artists for themselves with garbage Hell kids uh, Joe Simcoe and Jeff Zapata they're two of, Joe does most of the commercial art that's mm -hmm. out there now and Jeff Zapata was the product no he was the art director in the early 2000s uh, for these new all new series brand new series and they were out at a convention promoting their um, DVD which documented mm -hmm. the rise of garbage wow. kids so yeah. to me to be able to meet 
the artists at the convention made a deal. And so I had, at the time, I had a huge Lex Luthor costume. And mm. my daughter, she had a Supergirl, so we had the pair. I went to this convention without her this time. Um, and I just wanted to get to know the guys. And I hung out with Joe, um, like I said, Joe Simcoe, his wife and his young son at the time. And we just became friends. I remember like Joe's like, hey, I got the shopping cart and I put the costume in the shopping cart when I didn't want to wear it. And we just hung out and having the ability to meet um, Joe and James Warhola, who is an original artist, also uh, Andy Warhol's uncle. So that's wow. also Whoa. a pretty cool experience. <laughs> Nice. Um, who else was there? And um, so it was the three. <laughs> there were three or four artists and just hit it off. And Joe had asked me, what's your next costume? At the time, I really felt like I'm done. Kind of made everything that I wanted to make. I go in kind of, I always think it's a two-year kind of gung-ho where I get really excited about something for about two years. And then one day I wake up and I don't care anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of how I was feeling with cosplay because I felt like I'd made all the costumes I wanted to make. There was nothing that was itching that needed to be made. But when Joe asked me, of course, I'm going to say like, yeah, I had no idea how I was going to do it. None at all. It was nothing like any of the other costumes I'd ever seen or made. Um, but it was something that if the garbage field kit artist wants to know what I'm going to make, of course I have to make Adam. From there, it was a, Joe had called me a couple times and said, hey, would you be interested? Would you be interested? It was never the right time. And then at San Diego Comic-Con prior to COVID, I get the phone call saying Tops is interested. Before it was more kind of one-offs, um, non-official. At this point, it was officially Tops calling saying, hey, we want to hear your plans. How would you do this? Is this possible? And sure enough, we made it yeah. happen. So it went from, I had four months to put this costume together, uh, maybe a little less, and it came together. I think I worked every night until I passed out. There was points where working with knives and heat guns and every other electric tool you can imagine, where after the first cut, you say, well, maybe it's time to go to bed. But, you know, always you, have your, the, your brain's still going. I need to finish this. I need the to brain's going, that. but yeah. uh, the hands and body are not working well. I definitely have the nickname of Stabby Sammy um, because <laughs> I've got more cuts and bruises from the from making the costume than anything else. And it was a dream come true to be able to say, hey, I am Adam Baum. And this was the yellow card. The first card that I have was my own card. And what was cool about it was that it was my own card. But nothing specifically was branded towards me and as a garbage pal kid fan but my next uh set of cards 
that was my own costume. So that was an amazing experience. And hopefully there are a couple other shows I've got. I've done it a few times, but with COVID, um, it threw the schedule for a loop. Right. Everything shut yeah. down. Mm. But they, they recently flew you somewhere, didn't they? Uh, I was in Vegas. You're in Vegas. How was that? Yeah. Offici to be officially tops. Like, were there any other Garbage Bell Kid costume, you know, cosplay people? Official? Yeah. You're the only one. That's crazy. Yeah. Like, you know, like I also collected garbage little kids as a, you know, as a kid. You know, I was bent Ben. That was my card. Yeah. Not the one I would have picked, but that's the one I got. Um, but yeah, there that's uh man, that's that's my youth. I don't know. Were they big for you and Yoel in Canada? Garbage Bell kids? I definitely remember them well. I personally I was more like into the sports and the athletics and things of that nature, but I definitely remember friends having uh, collections and all sorts of things. Cause the minute you told me about it, Ben, that we're going to have Sam on and this was his thing. I was like, garbage pail kids. Like I remember, I haven't heard about that in so long, but I definitely remember it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it was famous for, for our age. Yeah. So, you know, for me, yeah, this is, yeah. For, and for me, it's like, you know, they, you know, some of us think, you know, 40 is the end, but you know, for a whole lot of people, 40, 40 is the beginning. Uh, I actually heard um, Donald Trump saying in an interview uh, that he knows one guy that made his whole fortune between 80 and 90. Hmm. And yeah. Yeah, I was going to I was going to add, Ben, what I love also, uh, Sam, is that it really sounds like you really cultivate hobbies and you really yeah, you really get into it. In other words, like, you know, you 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 work you have a you have a daughter uh you know you've got lots of responsibilities obviously but you still find time to engage in things that bring you joy and you excel at it and uh i just i'm very inspired by that i think i'll speak for myself i don't want to speak for others but you know it's sometimes that gets lost you know in the responsibilities of for me you know the responsibilities of life and demands of work or, or children's needs or whatever the case may be. And it's just very important to always make time for one's stuff. So I'm, I'm really inspired by what you're, by, by what you're doing. It's amazing. Oh, thank yeah. you. It is for me, anything I do, I try and incorporate my kid in um, with the costumes. That's one of the tough things where we don't do a lot of comic book cons anymore. Um, and Adam was a lot of work. And where she, my daughter could help, I allowed her to. And but she's also at this point, she's that teenager and wants to help certain things, other things she doesn't. But one of the most amazing experiences I had specifically with the Adam costume was on Friday of Comic Con. She was my handler. She uh -huh. made sure that I was taken care of which was incredible. And even though Joe, the artist was there as well, she wanted to run the show. And he did such a fantastic job that even at the beginning where I was a little bit hesitant to let her take control and yeah. lead, she excelled. And to me, that tells me that she's a leader. and it's where she's finding her niche. So at least to be able to see her grow 
as a young adult into things that she feels comfortable with um, and where she wants to excel means a lot to me because she works out in her school play and she's an assistant director and that's her job is to lead people and work behind the scenes to make sure that the show goes on. It's amazing. No doubt she's gotten that a lot from watching you do it. uh, You know, so you should enjoy and take the credit um, for that. It's a great segue, Ben, for our, uh, (laughs) as I'm sure you figured out. (laughs) Yes. And on that note, um, (laughs) we ask all of our guests to share their two dad to quit moment, a moment where you were the proudest of, of yourself, of your child, um, when you were just like, man, I am the dad. This is so cool. Um, and if you can share, you know, you've already shared a few, but if you can share another moment uh, where that was just, you know, beaming with pride um, as being a father. You know, there's never a time where I'm not. Um, <laughs> Amazing. You know, I love my kid. And for me at this stage, just remembering how I was at 13 and the troubles that the children are going through these days where we didn't have cell phones. We didn't have full access 24 seven to the world wide web. We only traveled within our small little circle and who was cool. You know, this guy, you know, that sits at the front of the bus or the one the girls liked or whatever it was, our kids, are just inundated with information. And to be able to see that my kid is managing and handling a lot of those stressors um, and coming to terms with what this world means versus kind of maybe um, how we expected it to be, that to me is a big thing because I really honor her opinion and for her to be able to be strong in this type of world um, means a lot. Yeah, definitely. And the last thing we like to leave our uh, audience with is some tips or, or advice you have uh, for anybody who is thinking about getting divorced or has just gotten divorced um, and something to get them through it because you're, you know, you're on the other side. And as you, as we've already gone through, you know, you've, you've, You've done well on the other side and and you're in a and in your words you're in a better place and something that you can share with them uh, to our audience it would be the same advice that we would give to our kids is that in the moment it sucks but we go through ups and we go through downs and there are times where we excel and everything's great there are times where things aren't um but know that things even out they always do have a way to work themselves out and realize that this one moment is just that we've got a lifetime to get things right and to work to make things better our kids get older and go through different experiences there are times where things are hard and seems like there's not an end um and then all of a sudden you wake up and the kids uh incredible so to me that's the advice the advice is to stay off the internet when it comes to airing your grievances and being upset it doesn't help Mm -hmm. um at some point you and your significant other did love each other 
no matter what happened, no matter how awful it was, you got to move past it because it's the only way you're going to be happy and your kids will be happy. Great. And thank you, Sam. We nice really words. appreciate it. Yeah, really appreciate you. you giving us your time and, and sharing your story with us. Um, before we thank go, I just want to, our pleasure. And uh, I just want to remind everybody it's two dad to quit.com two dad to quit on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, we are want to share your story and we hope that uh, you will reach out to us and we're about to start. Uh, this is the first episode of season two and we have a lot more coming and uh Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening to the Two Dad to Quit podcast. Available twodadtoquit.com. Thanks for listening and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss the next episode.